In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. Hey everybody, this is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with another edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. It is October 6th and Atlanta United has defeated New England 3-1 to in the last game of the MLS regular season here at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Uh, the goals were scored by Darlington Nagby with assists from Julian Gressel and Joseph Martinez. Then Joseph Martinez in the 49th minute with an assist from Julian Gressel. Just an unbelievably fantastic pass. And then Gressel got a goal of his own uh, from what I'm calling the Gressel spot. I told him that like golf courses have plaques where certain shots are hit. I think most of his goals come from the same area. They're just going to put a plaque down there in the right corner of the penalty box. And the 57th minute, uh, New England's goal was scored by uh, Pinea uh, in the 8th minute. Uh, with the win, Atlanta United finishes second in the MLS East. It will host New England in the first round of the MLS playoffs on October 19th. And perhaps most importantly, with this win and the three points, Atlanta United moves to 58 points. And should the top seeds in the conferences lose in the playoffs, that would be LAFC, and NYCFC, and Atlanta United continues to win, it will host the MLS Cup for the second consecutive year. As always, I'm joined by Jason Longshore of 92.9 FM and SoccerDownHere.net. Let me get your impressions of this, because this is what I told someone walking back up to the press box. The first half felt like Atlanta United this season. The second half felt like Atlanta United the previous two seasons. Yeah, I wouldn't say that's that far off. Um, and there wasn't like a big tactical change or anything either at halftime. I think you just were more switched on in transition. The game felt wide open in the first half yeah. and, and scary wide open because New England's a team that can exploit you in that. They exploited the right side of Atlanta's shape a lot in the first half. Kristen Pania's speed was a huge problem. And Franco Escobar, frankly, struggled in the first half. Yeah. But he had a massive second half. He was outstanding in the second. That his ability, I think, to defend and and provide confidence to the team, it's something that you can't measure it. We, we can't sit here and, and go poll the rest of the squad. But I think it freed up Julian Gressel to push forward a little bit more. He knew that Escobar was kind of back a bit because Franco's had some struggles and everything changed. And the second half looked like I, I want to. I don't want to say that Atlanta United hasn't been that good this season because I don't think that's the case. I think they have at, at many different times, but it felt like Atlanta United, and it felt like a team that was in control. Because when you look at this team's identity and tactics are different, the identity and I think the the DNA of this squad and this club is to be in control to be one of the best and to be in control. They were that in the second half. They played as well as any team in this league. 
and they were in complete control of it. New England could not get control of the match back after a first half that neither team really had a whole lot of control. Yeah, uh, the first half... I, I it's a good half for it was Atlanta. You had 11 shots. Yeah, I mean, it, was, it was a bit helter-skelter. Franco, if, you, if you get a second goal or you get a, you get a, even a third goal in that first half and out of 11 shots and I think eight or nine chances created, then we're, we're speaking about things differently. But, yeah, it felt helter-skelter. Uh, Franco really – he had an awful first half. His first half reminded me of, you know, Leandro Gonzalez Perez's past couple of games. Just mistake after mistake. But Atlanta United wasn't getting consistently punished, which is much, much different uh, than in the previous two games. But the big thing, the other thing, uh, not of factual importance, but I guess just of, of importance to the team, is after it scored in the third minute, New England bounces back five minutes later and scores again. And unlike sometimes this year, Atlanta United didn't just kind of mentally fold. Um, they were able to, to keep it 1-1 going into halftime, and then, as Jason just discussed, really took control of the second half. And that has not been the case. And, you know, you could name quite a few games this season that just hasn't happened. Yeah, it was a different game, though, is one thing I would say. It wasn't a situation like at Yankee Stadium where you had a couple opportunities in the first 15 minutes, but when you conceded first, it felt like the better team was in, in charge. This one, even after New England, had a, a big chance from Pania that was saved by Gazan before he got the goal, after mm-hmm. Atlanta scored. It still felt like a wide-open game. New England's best chances were when they went direct over the top and, and caught Atlanta in 2v2 or 3v3 situations. Atlanta was in more control, but not complete control. It, it was a weird first half, and, and my biggest question coming out of this is... Is that the game that Bruce Arena wants, or does he come into the postseason and defend more with a line of five? We asked, uh, or I asked Frank, um, after the game, if they saw anything different from New England in this game than in previous games, anticipating the possible first-round matchup. Asked the same question of Julian. Both said no. No, Uh, Both teams did exactly what they have been doing, uh, which surprised me a little bit. Uh, but it is going to be interesting. If New England doesn't try to keep isolating uh, Pania on Escobar in the next game, then I don't know what's going on, but that's definitely going to happen. Uh, how they do it is going to be the question mark. Um, one other thing I want to get into before we kind of break down the playoffs uh, scenarios now is Michael Parkhurst, uh, not his last game at Mercedes-Benz because they'll get at least one more, but his last regular season game, um, he got to come on in the 70-something, 79th minute or something like that mm-hmm. um, for Julian Gressel because Julian said he needed to come out. He aggravated a little something. He said it's not serious, but he didn't want to risk it. Um, it was nice to see Parkhurst. I asked him if there was a uh, agreement before the game that if there was a penalty kick late, he got to take it. <laughs> he said, Joseph loves me, but he doesn't love me that much. Uh, I don't uh, know. I think he might have let him have and, you know, Joseph showed him that he loved him by after his fantastic goal ran over to the sidelines and did his customary kneel down in front of Parkhurst. What a moment. Yeah, that, that was pretty cool. Parkhurst said he knew it was coming because Joseph told him ahead of time. Yeah. But that's still, you know, just a, a very classy sign of respect. Yeah, um, that was that was an incredible moment. There were a lot of those today, the, the, the post-match ceremony honoring Michael Parkhurst. 
definitely some tears shed. It was very cool to see, and, and a lot of credit to the New England Revolution too, uh, sticking around and presenting Parkey with uh, you know a, a token to you know commemorate his time with the New England Revolution, where he started his career. Very, very cool to see Parkhurst get that kind of love today. He, I mean, he deserves it. He's a guy who, on a day where you know Tim Howard's career ended, uh, Demarcus Beasley's career ended, uh, Nick Romano's regular season time ended, and Michael Parkhurst's regular season time ended, Parkhurst doesn't get lost in that shuffle, and he shouldn't. Yeah, it is funny because nationally, I think it kind of did. Um, you saw a lot of things about Beasley, a lot of things about Ramondo, a lot of things about Howard. You knew Beasley and Howard were done after today, and, and Ramondo, I think, will get more of it after the, the season is over for Real Salt Lake. Nick Ramondo actually tweeted a, a really mm-hmm. nice tweet for Demarcus Beasley and Michael Parkhurst, and, and Tim Howard is too in a separate one. I'm trying to line up a podcast with Parkhurst. I was joking; it could be like a between two ferns kind of thing because I think <laughs> Parkhurst would really. Have fun with that, but it probably won't be. Uh, But anyway, just Parkhurst is one of those guys that every sports reporter loves because he will always answer the bell no matter the result and come out and talk to you and always give you honest, good stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Those are rare in today's sports world. And so I'm going to miss him for a lot of reasons. That's one. But let's break down the playoff scenarios real quick. I've got Jason's phone because I'm talking into mine. (laughs) We have Atlanta United versus New England. We are going to have Philadelphia uh, hosting, the Red Bulls. hosting the Red Bulls. Toronto hosting, Toronto DC. hosting DC United. DC who, who makes it out? Well, DC, first off, this has to be mentioned. Two red cards for Cincinnati at the end of the first half. 11 v. 9 for at least the whole second half and not much of the first half left. And they can't find a goal at home against Cincinnati. you got to give Cincinnati some credit. They finished pretty well. Who makes it out of this? So Atlanta, New England. I think. Well, uh, it's important to mention that because Toronto won. Yeah. No, so that cost DC United a home game. Yeah, DC would have hosted that. Now it's the other way around. I think Toronto wins that. You're, there's no way you're bouncing back from that with any kind of momentum. I think Toronto wins. Toronto's a little bit scary at this point. Philadelphia, not a great final two games. Casper Shabilko left with a non-contact injury after the warm-up with a foot injury, so you got to worry about that. They host a Red Bulls team who was awful today. Lost 3-0 in Montreal, so neither one's really looking that great. I think Philadelphia at home should take it, but that's not a guarantee. You feel good about Atlanta and New England again after today's action, but Bruce Arena's cagey. You know it's going to be difficult. I think you could see chalk with the top four seeds all advancing in the East, and that creates Atlanta hosting Philadelphia, where they've had good success in this building against the Union. And a Toronto team going into New York that's really tricky. That's a really tricky game. I don't, I don't buy Toronto's stock as much as other people, but that's okay. I've come around on them because they made some. They finally addressed replacing Victor Vasquez and some of the other players that left. It took them until the summer window, and it took them a long time to get any kind of semblance of cohesion. Now, the big question for Toronto is Josie Altidore left that match injured. Mm. And what's his status going to be? Did, no, this one had nothing to do with a hamstring. This was somebody rolling him up from behind. No, he's just unlucky good. is, is more yeah. what my Yeah, point. this one didn't look good, and it's really bad luck for him. In the West, we have Seattle at home hosting Dallas, which mm-hmm. Dallas is awful on the road. Dallas had a huge win at home over Sporting Kansas City yeah. today. Kind of surprised that Kansas City rolled over like that. 
Salt Lake hosting Portland. Portland not playing well this season. They really got it out a win over San Jose. Um, they were pretty good on the road early in the season. They haven't been on the road very much lately. And this is the most intriguing matchup yeah. of all the playoffs to me. Minnesota against the Galaxy, whose defense once again fell apart today, costing them a home okay. game yeah. uh, in a loss to Houston, which had nothing to play for. Well, the, the LA Galaxy in the last two matches, they've scored five goals. That would That's like, ooh, that sounds pretty good. They've conceded eight yeah. to Vancouver and Houston. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, you're not getting out of that. You're not going to Allianz and winning. So then, but the thing is, and if you're LAFC, the two teams that you have not beaten in 2019 are Minnesota and the LA Galaxy. And you're going to play one of them. You're going to get to host it. But Minnesota's come into your building and won before. We know the Galaxy are in their heads. That's not an easy situation for LAFC. They had a really good win today, though, that built some momentum. All right. So there's a quick playoff breakdown from you. A couple of other housekeeping notes. Carlos Vela broke Joseph Martinez' single-season goal-scoring record uh, with a hat trick today, leaving him with 34. Uh, so that lasted a season, did Joseph Martinez's record. Uh, Brad Guzan and Bill Hamid, which I thought was kind of funny, tied for 14 shutouts each. I don't know if they each get a golden glove or if they each get golden gloves. Yeah, they each get a I, I don't know how that's going to work. Come in a pair. Um, so that was pretty funny, I thought. Um what other housekeeping notes do we have? Uh, Ezekiel Barco started today in place of Pitti Martinez. Uh, Frank said Barco needs game game minutes. If you'll go back to the LAFC game, Frank has said that he thinks they play the same position. So it's going to be curious how he handles this in the playoffs. He was specifically asked about that and said that I'm going to put whoever out there gives me the best chance to win against that opponent. And since they won 3-1, to one, with Barco in the lineup, I don't think you're going to see Pitti against New England. Uh, but that doesn't mean you won't see Pitti in the next round should Atlanta United win. Yeah, I think it depends on the opponent. And, and New England, with their ability to transition quickly, do you want to sacrifice one of your players, either midfield or defensively, to get Pitti into this lineup against New England? Seeing how open it was in the first half, that would concern you a bit. Would you have more going forward, maybe be able to put the game away because New England's defense had issues today? Maybe, but that's a risky move. Yeah, my – trying to think like Frank, he's going to prioritize defense and ball oh, possession. Boy. When you put pity in there for Barco, if you get the pity that we've seen this season, you are going to have turnovers that are going to lead to counterattacks, and Frank is not going to want to see that. because it's a team that's lethal on counters, no. no. Because it's happened – you know, I, I – Many, many times this season. Um, but anyway, we're going to wrap this up now. Atlanta United defeats New England 3-1 to here at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in the last game of the regular season. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC, on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. Jason, what do you have upcoming? Overreaction Monday, tomorrow on the Soccer Down Here app and on SoccerDownHere.net and on Spreaker, 9 o'clock in the morning. And then we'll be over at the Brewhouse Cafe for soccer over there all the soccer from all over the world uh, from 6 to 8 if you want to come hang out with us. And I'll have, obviously, this podcast. The game story and player ratings are already up. I'll have something on Michael Parkhurst. I'll probably have something on this matchup uh, in the playoffs based upon what we talked to Frank about. Probably have something on Barco starting today. Um, This week... I think access is going to be limited because there are no games. It's an international break. But I'm going to try to have a podcast with Michael Parkhurst. I'm going to try to have a podcast with 
Academy Director Tony Annan. He just celebrated his fourth anniversary with the club. Um, And I'm going to have something based upon kind of the mental flip-switching of being stronger mentally in the playoffs than this team has been during the regular season. And this was a pretty good game from which to base that story off of. Uh, again, follow me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC. Follow me on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. This is the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.